goes into a meeting and God moves into a meeting because of the hunger of the people. He responds to the hunger of the people. And when we understand that, then we all take our places and we don't think highly of ourselves and we shouldn't. But Ivan always tells me, honey, remember, when God moves, he moves not because of us, he moves despite of us. And we like to live in that place. He moves despite of us because he meets the hunger of the children. And um, miracles and supernatural things are simply <clears throat> the byproduct of the presence of Jesus. When Jesus is present, he alters a realm. He alters everything. His presence changes everything. And the more of Jesus, like John the Baptist said, we must decrease so he increases. And as Jesus increases in us, the more miracles happen. Not because of us, because of him. You see, the more of Jesus, the more of heaven. The more we decrease, the more heaven can invade our lives and alter our atmosphere and change our realm. It's all about Jesus. We are back more and more into the center of it because he's coming back soon. And he's preparing, earth is preparing for his return. And we need to be preparing for his return as well. (laughs) So we need to realize that we all have enough of Jesus in us to get us to heaven. But that is just the start. There's so much more of him and as he increases, you know, everything starts happening. He said, this shine shall follow those who believe. And you see, when we are, we need to invest in the company of Jesus. You know, there is a difference between the presence of God and the company of God. A lot of people struggle in the church with not experiencing the presence of God. There's a lot of striving about it. You can go to conferences to learn how to get the presence of God to come. You can buy a library full of books on how to bring the presence of God to your life, to your meetings, and so on and so on. And they're all a waste of time and money. Because it is not complicated. You don't have to do all kinds of things to get the presence of God to come. Because the Bible tells me And I'm quoting Jesus, his words, not mine. He said, I will never leave you. I will be with you always. Always. And I looked it up. Always means always and forever. Always. I will be with you always. So a child can get this. Always means always. And we need to take it face value. It's not open for interpretation. I will be with you always till the end, always, till the end of time, always, and that's eternity, so always with you. And the problem is, we talked about last night, about what we feel and experience, and a lot of people believe that the presence of God is not with them because they are not feeling him and experiencing him. That has nothing to do with it. That's your soul. It has nothing to do with it. The truth is the truth because it is the truth. And that's it. It's simple. It's to the point. The truth is the truth. And the Bible says he is with us. Jesus said, (coughs) I will be with you always. So we stop debating it. It's a fact. Whether you feel him or not, 
has nothing to do with it. Your experience has not determined the truth. You see, truth is truth. So we have to start by changing our mindsets from, you know, going back and forth. He doesn't come. We don't have his presence. We need to get in his presence. There's nothing you have to do to get in his presence. You already have it. Sons and daughters have and live in the presence of God 24-7. That's not debatable. It is very clear in the scripture. We have his presence always. You know, if you don't believe me, you can read Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is very clear about it. And when I read Psalm 139, it tells me, I don't know what it tells you, it tells me that I cannot get rid of him. That's what Psalm 139 says. I can try as hard as I want, and I cannot get rid of him. I cannot get rid of his presence, no matter what I do. So since I cannot get rid of his presence, why am I striving to get his presence to come? You see, it's a contradiction. And it leads us to frustration, leads us to striving and disappointment. Because he is with you whether you feel him or not. He is with you. Non-negotiable. It's a mindset we have to choose to believe because it is true. He said it. There's a period at the end. There's, I looked. There's no fine print afterwards. I will be with you always except when. No. Always. Always. So when we learn to align our, ourselves with the truth of a scripture, things become easier and possible. It changes everything. Believing the truth and making it part of our lives, regardless of what you feel. Your experience changes as the truth is established. So the problem is that we have, you can say to me, but if he is with me, how come I'm not experiencing him? It's very simple. Because one thing is presence, another thing is company. When you have the company, things start happening. Enjoying somebody's company is so different than just being in their presence. You see, um, you can be in this room surrounded by all these people and be utterly alone. You are in the presence of all these people, but you can be disconnected and alone. You see, just in the presence of, but disconnected. Most of the church lives that way, in the presence of the Trinity, but disconnected and alone. You see? And there is no need for that because they are incredibly sociable. The Bible tells us so. They are incredibly sociable. So when we understand who they are and how willing they are to be involved in our lives, you see, the three people, the three persons of the Trinity, and yes, there are one, there are three, and I can't explain it to you as John. You know, I just take it as the Bible says it. I don't try to figure the Bible out. I just believe it. You see, but we are in the presence. So, for instance, you can be sitting at the doctor's office across from somebody for five hours and be alone, completely alone. You are in the presence of that person, but you will be alone unless you choose to connect with that person. The moment you choose to connect with that person, you stop being alone, and now you enter into their company. You have companionship now. And when you have companionship, everything changes. You see, 
And it is very easy. All you have to do to have a companionship with somebody, all you have to do to be in a crowd of a thousand and not be alone is to connect with at least one person. It changes everything. You now have companionship with somebody's company. And when we learn with God, yes, you have to do devotions. I'm not getting you off that. You have to do devotions. You know, it's necessary. We all have to pray and read the Bible. And that's, that's it. But the companionship and the, the relationship is built outside of that. Not during devotions, but it's outside of that that you go into, you enter into that. So when we learn to be in them, in the companionship, you see, then we come to 1 Corinthians 1 9 says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Corinthians 13.14 Paul says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. In these two scriptures, we are called to have fellowship with the Trinity. See, Jesus said in John 14 to Philip, The Father and I are one. If you see me, you see him. You talk to me, you talk to him. We are one. So any, when you interact with one, you interact with the other. They are one. They're, and yes, they are two and the whole thing. But he said, the Father and I are one. So in these two scriptures, <laughs> we are encouraged to have fellowship with them. I love that the word that is used here is fellowship with. It's fellowship. Because fellowship is very Different. Fellowship is not presence. Fellowship is not. Anointing is not power. Fellowship means socializing and visiting. Fellowship is different. You have fellowship when you have a cup of coffee with somebody. It involves personal time and personal investment. Fellowship happens when we have lunch together. We have fellowship. You can work with someone for 20 years side by side. I never have fellowship with that person. Simply have a work relationship. And most people have lived, lots of Christians live their lives having a work relationship with God. Just prayer, devotions, and all of that. And there's no more than that. You see, but we are called here to have fellowship with them. And when I began to look into this, I realized that I could have a social life with the Trinity. And that revolutionized my life. When I realized they want to have a social life with me. Not just a spiritual life. Not just a ministry life. But a social life with me. I can fellowship with them. We can actually do things together. We can hang out together. We can have a disorder relationship with them. And, but for that to happen, we have to actually choose to connect with somebody. Somebody has to want to connect. And with God, all you have to do, you're living his presence. That is non-debatable. 24 hours a day, you cannot get rid of his presence. So stop striving to get his presence to come because it's useless. But instead, learn to connect with him. You see, it is as easy as saying hello. How are you today, Father? 
Hi, Jesus. How are you doing? Just connecting with them. A simple hello goes a long way. You see, and learning to connect with them. And the more we learn to just connect with them, the re- we move from com- presence into company. Now we are connected. Throughout the day, as we go along doing everything, we connect. And all of a sudden, we are in their company. We are not alone. We are in, the, in their company. We learn to live in their company. Their company changes our reality. When we learn to be in somebody's company, they invade our atmosphere. That person, they come into our atmosphere. And the reality manifests around us. You see, when you have little children, and you tell them you have to cook dinner, and you say to them, Mommy is going to be right there in the kitchen. I'm going to cook dinner. Just play here. You leave toys. You leave the vegetables on and everything. Just play here. So I, but I'm right there. I'm not leaving. I'm right there. Every two minutes, you hear, Mom, Mom, Mom. You come running to see what isn't. What did you need? What's wrong? Nothing. And you tell them again, just wait here, mommy just going to, is there, I'm just right there, I'm cooking. Two minutes later, you hear mom again. The reason why the child does that is to connect. Because they don't have the understanding of time and space. And they don't know that they're in their reality and their perception. They can't see you, you are gone and they're alone. The child finds himself alone. Even though you are across on the other side of the world, they can't get that yet. So they find them, the child finds himself alone, so he calls for you. All you have to do is answer from the kitchen and say, yes, honey, I'm here, I love you. And you're fine for two more minutes. <clears throat> you see, because that's how long they can go before they start panicking and feeling alone. We are not that different. You know that expression, out of sight, out of mind. And because we cannot physically see him all the time, we forget he's there all the time. You see, and we go through life alone when we don't need to be. All we have to do is say hello. All we have to do is be relational with all three of them, there's no need for us <coughs> to be alone. You know that saying, two are company, three are a crowd. Well, it's four, actually. So it's a bigger crowd because the three of them plus you all the time together. We are surrounded by three, the three people of the Trinity, you know, and there is no need for us to go around alone, lonely and disconnected. You see, so we just have to learn to connect with them. When I was learning this about 30 years ago, I actually had to have reminders to say hello, not to ignore them, to realize even though I don't feel them and I don't see them, they are with me. So I'm going to connect because you are with me. And I, every 15 minutes, I would say hello to one of them. I would say, hi, Jesus. I love you, Holy Spirit. Hi, Father. Hello, Holy Spirit. And I would go back and forth. And the most amazing thing was that slowly, the reality of them being with me manifested. 
I didn't have to struggle. I didn't have to strive. I didn't have to impress them because they already like us. His, he chose to be with us always. It was his choice. He didn't have to. So we don't have to twist his arm for him to be with us. He already likes you. He chose to be with you always. You see, so we need to get rid of those mindsets of rejection and favoritism because he has no favorites. So if he likes to spend time with one, he likes to spend time with us all. So all we have to do is learn to be in their company and enjoy their company. Since we are together forever, we might as well. Learn to fellowship and get along. You see, build that relationship and learn to live in companionship with them. I can't remember what it was like not to feel the tangible presence of God around me 24 hours a day. I don't know anymore. It has been so long. I can't even recall what it was not to live in that realm of the reality of their presence and their company. And it is simply because we learn to live in fellowship. You see, and they have, the reality has invaded my atmosphere and everywhere I am always mindful of they are with me and their presence is manifested and it increases the more we connect. You see, Ivan and I like to be together a lot. We really like each other and we do almost everything together in life and minister and travel and everything together. But that is being in each other's presence. We enjoy each other's company, so we cultivate company, even though we are together. So sometimes at home, people who live in our house will tell you, we sit together to watch a movie. We're sitting side by side, shoulder to, cho- to shoulder, sometimes with our arms around each other. But you can be sitting, physically touching somebody and be disconnected. You see? So we like to be, we are in each other's presence but we invest in companionship, in being connected. So if you're in our house, you will hear, every few minutes, you will hear, honey, I love you. I love you too. We're watching the movie. Honey, I'm crazy about you. Me too. Honey, I can't live without you. No, me neither. You know, and Ivan has warned me a million times, you can die before me. If you do, I'll bring you back from the dead and kill you. So... You know, and we go back and forth like that, watching a movie, you see? And that keeps us connected in companionship. We sit to work on our computers for hours across from each other. We're in each other's company. But we have those interactions constantly to keep us connected. We're in each other's company, you see? Company changes everything. And the company of the Trinity is amazing. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father, their company, they change everything. When you are in their company, miracles happen, supernatural things happen because they do that sort of thing. See, they do it. And it's amazing and fun to see them do it. We were having a few years ago, a couple came to our house to have um, dinner with us on a Saturday night and to go to church with us on Sunday. So they had a minivan that had been in an accident and had only one side door for the children, and it was damaged. It had a big dent, scratches, and the paint was off, and the mechanism was faulty. But they didn't have money to fix it. They had been praying for provision, but it hadn't happened yet. 
And they had a hard time letting the children in and out. And they had to really yank the thing and so on. So they were with us. We had dinner together. We watched a movie together. But Ivan and I do everything in the company of them, in the company of Jesus. You know, we watch movies in his company. We eat dinner in their company. We, you know, everything in companionship with them. So as we were... You know, we went to sleep, and the next morning we got up to go to church when all of a sudden we heard a screaming, screaming in the driveway. And, you know, so we ran downstairs because we thought they, somebody had stolen their van or something because they were screaming. When we came out, they both were standing there staring at the van. It was perfectly fixed. Everything, the dent was gone, the scratches were gone, the paint was perfect, and the mechanism was oiled. And they were doing the Benihin test. Do what you couldn't do before. Open and close. Open and close. And we're sliding back and forth. Perfect. You know, a miracle happened through the night. So they asked, they said to God, what happened? Like, what happened? We have been asking you to provide to fix it. But, you know, we didn't even pray for this last night. And the miracle happened. Why? And Jesus said very simply, I was visiting last night, and I saw it broken, so I fixed it. Very simple. You see, when you're living his company, he does the supernatural. He does the miracles. He does the things we cannot do. And we don't have to worry about being gifted or being anointed because his presence does it. He is the kingdom. You see, his presence alters our reality constantly. He will learn to live in that place of fellowship with him and company. A friend of mine, a minister, said to me one day, sent me an email and said, Isabel, I have to go for a very difficult medical test on Wednesday to the hospital. And it is going to be really bad. So I need you to pray that his presence will come with me. If his presence comes, then it'll be fine. I can make it. But if his presence doesn't come, then it is, I can't. I don't think I can go through with it. I didn't pray for that. It'll be a great waste of my time to pray for his presence to go. Because as far as I know, he is not afraid of hospitals. And he said, always means always. I'll be with you always. Why do I need to pray that he will go with her? He's going to be there. Regardless, I prayed that she would be able to connect with him during the procedure so she would enjoy his company during the procedure. Because if you can enjoy his company during the scary time, you'll be fine. He will give you peace. He will hold your hand. He will make it fine. You see, by learning to connect with him, you see, you then get to enjoy who he is and everything he is. He is the fullness of the kingdom. It's all about Jesus. You see, so I were, we were teaching a few years ago <coughs> at a big school in, uh, at the 700 Club at the headquarters there. And we were teaching a big uh, school. So one of the things with me, just in general, that I had a struggle for a long time with was feeling inadequate to pray for the sick. Because, you know, you know, 
Some God chose his sovereign, sometimes he heals in the moment, sometimes later, and so on. And somehow I had taken responsibility for the results. So when you do that, you get into trouble because then you take credit also for for what he does. But anyway, and so I was this inadequacy about healing had come to me, and I was in this place of well, you know, I don't, I, I'm not gifted in that, and maybe people need to go to the gifted ones, not to me, because you know they come to me and I pray for them. You know, it's faster if I give them a Tylenol, you know, but. Can't say that because you know you're the speaker at events and we are doing conferences and people would come pray for me because I'm in pain. And I'm thinking, I have Tylenol in my purse, you know. But, you know, so I would pray for them, but I would pray for them with the belief that nothing is going to happen because I'm not gifted in this. So maybe they should go to those who are gifted. And they will pray for them. They will get healed. But, you know, not me. Don't get me to do this. It isn't going to work. Now, I have seen healings. I have received healings. And I have prayed for some people at times that have been healed. I even was part of a resurrection. Do you want to hear my resurrection story? It's really cool. It's a parenthesis. I'll tell you my resurrection story. It's so cool. You see, I get this prophecy. Those of you who were here last night will understand. Starting at the bottom, climbing up. The mountain. I got this prophecy years and years ago that God was going to use me to physically raise the dead and be involved in that. I thought, oh my goodness, you know, raise the dead, you know. But, you know, so anyway, one day my dad had a canary and he adored this canary. He just loved the canary. So there was going to be a storm, a major storm coming, and the cage was hanging by an open space. So my dad said to my sister and to me, now girls, I'm going to be late, coming home late tonight. I need you to bring my bird in when, at, in the evening because otherwise this storm will kill him. We said, of course, we'll bring, the bird, we'll bring him in, no problem. But we forgot. So we got up the next morning, and the bird was dead at the bottom of the cage. He was cold and stiff, like a popsicle. If I go like this, it would have shattered. I mean, it was just. And we are looking at this bird, and we are looking at each other, thinking, you know, we are going to be like that in a minute. When when our dad gets up, it's us, you know. He's going to kill us because this is his bird. He entrusted him to us. And so, you know, what do we do now? How do we get out of this? It's going to be really bad. Then it occurred to me, well, God said, raise the dead. So I said to my sister, well, God said, we're going to, I'm going to pray the dead will come to life. So I figured God rose Lazarus from the dead. He was a big man. You can get a million canaries out of a man. So it shouldn't take that much effort to raise a canary from the dead compared to raising a man from the dead, you see? So I didn't have faith for, to raise a person from the dead, but I had enough faith for a canary to be raised from the dead. So my sister took the bird in her hands and she put them like this. I put my hands on top and we began to pray for life and resurrection. The thing, as I said, it was as dead as can be, stiff and cold. And we began to pray for a resurrection life because we have a prophecy that says we're raising from the dead. And so we're praying away when all of a sudden the thing moved. 
The bird moved. We almost killed it a second time by dropping it. My sister, my sister freaked right out and went, ah! and the bird is flying. I caught it just before I hit the floor because it was still stiff. It would have shattered. You know, life was coming back into him, but it wasn't hadn't fully there. So we took him back. My sister took a deep breath, you know, okay, you know, it's okay, it's okay, it's coming back to life. So we continue praying and praying and praying and praying and into this bird and uh, releasing life in the name of Jesus and everything we could think of until the bird was nice and warm and soft. The body and the feathers were soft and you could press the belly and it was soft. So we put the bird back into the cage. And then by the time my dad got up, the bird was singing. <laughs> and the bird stopped and my dad stopped and said, good morning to his bird and everything. Then came to the kitchen and thanked us for taking such good care of his bird. <laughs> he never knew that he just come back from the dead. But you know what that did for me? I, I haven't prayed. God hasn't told me to pray for a, someone, a, a dead person to come back from the dead yet. But if he does, I have faith to believe now because I have seen him do it. You see? We start with small beginnings. You know, you don't have faith to do the big things. To start with the little things. Find a few bugs and pray for them to come back to life. You know, if you don't have the courage to go to the hospital and pray for people to be healed, well, go to the animal shelter. Pray for the cats and dogs that are sick. You know, practice. Small little things until you get there. It works. It works. It works. Now that was free. Now let's continue. So anyway, but my inadequacy is, so we are in this big conference, school in Virginia Beach, and I was, I do everything in the company of Jesus. We really like hanging out together. So I was teaching one afternoon, I was teaching the afternoon session, and uh, <clears throat> I was chatting with Jesus out in the hallway, who knows, but nothing important, we're just chatting. And so I heard voices changing at, at the front. So I said to him, Jesus, we got to get in because it's time for us to go to speak. We have to speak now. So let's go in. So we came in, and we came to sit at the front where they had seats for us. So at the moment when they got to the front, the lady in charge of the event had a word of knowledge. And she said, God is going to heal people with pain in their bodies. If you have pain, please stand up and we will pray. The person next to you will lay hands on you, and you will get healed. Now, immediately, my inadequacies arose, and my whole belief system, which was a lie, but my belief system said, you know, uh-oh, somebody is going to stand next to me, and if I lay hands on them, they are not going to get healed. So it's not a good thing. So sometimes I forget, you know, that all the people that are listening and I just, you know, talked to Jesus out loud. And so that was one of those times. I, so as she made the announcement that we were going to pray for people in pain, I uh, audibly, I said to Jesus, Jesus, it's time to go to the bathroom now. We're going to the bathroom. You know, we're sneaking out of there so no one is stuck with me. They can go to the gifted people and get healed. So... 
I didn't look at him, but I had this impression of him looking at me like, huh? You know, but I decided to ignore everything we're going. I get this fantasy that I can make him do things he doesn't want to do. It never works, but I keep trying. So I said to him, I know, let's go. And I was walking out, you know, and I could see presence fills you on the inside. Company walks with you on the outside. You see, and there's this extra presence of companionship that comes with you. So I could feel him walking behind me slowly, dragging his heels. I knew he didn't want to leave. I knew. So I said to him, you know, I know, I know you don't want to go out. You don't want to leave and you want to heal the sick people. I said, but here's the thing. Good news, you are omnipresent. Because you are omnipresent, you can stay here and heal with the rest of the people. But you, with me, we're going to the bathroom. So I'm going, and as I'm going, all of a sudden I'm going like this. I looked at a person sitting on the aisle on the third row. And at the moment I saw the lady, I felt his heart for her, just overwhelming. I felt this wave of his love coming into me towards her, and I knew he wanted to connect with that lady. I didn't know what he was going to do, but he wanted to connect with her. So I assessed the situation very briefly. She was sitting down. All the people in pain were already standing up. So I thought it was safe for me to stop. So I stopped, you know, didn't know what he wanted to do, but I stopped. And um, so I went to hug the lady, and she stood up with a lot of trouble. And as I'm hugging her, she whispers in my ear, I am in a, lo- in a lot of pain. I broke my ribs. And I'm in so much pain, I can hardly breathe. I can hardly move. I wanted to stand up when they gave the word of knowledge, but I couldn't because of the pain. You know, now a very spiritual person would have had a very different reaction. But this is me. I looked over at Jesus and I said, what were you thinking? <laughs> like, we were getting out of this. You know, I, I, he tricked me. I tricked me. He really tricked me. I was not impressed. He tricked me. And I said to him, you know, like, oh, broken ribs. You have to resurrect Catherine Coleman for this. I come on, this is me, you know, not, I pray for the sniffles and the people have to take, you know, vitamin C. So, you know, Catherine Coleman, broken ribs, it's common sense to me, you know, like you don't do this. This poor lady, nothing is going to happen to her and she's going to think that you didn't want to heal her. But it's because I'm not gifted, you know, and I'm explaining all this very quickly to him. And so, but he ignores me completely. I was not very impressed, I have to tell you. I wasn't impressed. And, um, but you know, I'm the speaker. And I can't just say to her, well, you know, walk over there and get somebody anointed to pray for you. So as I am holding the lady, I just said these words, Dear Jesus, since he was present, you know, I'm with his company, so his problem really. And I said, Dear Jesus, would you please take her away? away? <laughs> and I gave her a little kiss on the forehead and walked out of it. We went to the bathroom for real. 
And I said to Jesus on the way back, we are not going in until I hear voices changing at the front. Because, you know, you can trick me again. I can trust you right now. <laughs> so where is they going here? So we were there waiting and chatting when all of a sudden the voices changed and I said to him, okay, we really have to go in now. It's time for us to go talk. So let's go in. And we came in. You know, when you are in his company, there's, you know, a space that comes with you. He takes the space. So we came in and I closed the door behind me and Jesus was here and I was here when I looked up to the pulpit and the lady with the broken ribs is testifying she's completely healed. She's whacking her ribs, bending up and down, jumping and taking big, big breaths. She is healed. Again, an anointed person would have reacted completely differently. I said out loud, as loud as you can possibly get without a microphone, I know the Statue of Liberty hurt me. I said, you've got to be kidding. My granddaughter could have prayed that prayer. Like, I mean, there was nothing to it. You know, some days I wish I could, you know, have a back-in-time experience and hear Catherine Kuhlman pray or, you know, Smith Wigglesworth so I can repeat the prayers and maybe people get healed. And that day, I mean, that was the most childlike prayer ever. And she got healed. And I had one of the biggest lessons of my life. If I am in his company, I don't have to worry about being gifted or anointed. He is the kingdom and he takes care of it. You see, if I am living and walking and moving in his company, companionship, alongside with me, arms linked together, and so many is in need, he takes care of it. So many needs a miracle, he does it. There's provision, he does the provision. He does whatever is necessary. If we just cultivate walking in that, in that companionship. You see, we were in Australia a few years ago. <clears throat> and in the meeting, there was a little girl, nine years old, who had brittle bone syndrome. And that means the heart bones shattered, just, you know, brittle, and, and uh, I mean, you, she couldn't even be touched softly because her bones would snap. She had, her body was deformed for, because her bones had been breaking so much, constantly breaking. So, her hips were distorted, her knees, everything, so she had to wear these long clothes to cover her bones and her appearance. And, uh, <coughs> So, the first day of the conference, she was walking, everybody was clapping and cheering. The second day of the conference, she came with a cast on her leg in the wheelchair because somebody touched her and her leg broke. So, anyway, we were doing the conference again. Jesus was there. We were hanging out. We spent life together. We walked together, talked together, you know, fellowship and socializing, the whole thing. So, we are there in each other's company, ministering together. And then there were lots of, for some reason, 
lots of important people, the mayor of the city came, not a Christian parliament people were attending the conference and they came to tell me, you know, the mayor of the city is here, would you like to come and meet the mayor? And I said, not at all. So, the mayor is here. I work with Jesus. I know Justin Bieber and I met Mickey Mouse. What's left? You know? So I said, no. People and their positions don't impress me. She wants to meet my company. That would be impressive. You know? Jesus is impressive, but not the mayor. I respect her, but I wasn't going to run to meet the mayor. I work with Jesus. So anyway, at the end of the whole thing, the little girl, because she was in the cast and the wheelchair, she was sitting at the front. But the whole thing, we were prophesying till early hours in the morning and everything, and the little girl was there, her parents wouldn't leave. So the last day, she came to meet me at the door on her little wheelchair. And she says to me, you know, Isabel, I have never in my whole entire life, she's nine, heard my des- what my destiny is. I don't know what my destiny is. And <coughs> I would love to know what's my destiny. Do you think that you could prophesy over me today? And I said to her, well, honey, I think it can easily be arranged. Yes, I'm sure God has something for you. And we can ask him. <clears throat> so come and see me. I said to her at the end of the meeting, as soon as we finished speaking, and then we will we'll pray for you. We'll prophesy over you. So at the end, there she comes with her daddy's cell phone for, to record the prophecy. And I sat there to prophesy over her, and I felt Jesus sit next to me. And I could feel his company, his presence and his company. And I could feel, as I was prophesying over her, I could feel his waves of love flowing in and out. And I could feel them coming out of him into me and into her, just flowing in and out. Until I finished prophesying, I didn't pray for healing or anything. I just did the job he sent me to do, and I was doing it. I do pray for the sick since Virginia Beach, you know, but, you know, at that moment, I didn't pray for her for healing. I just prophesied over her in his company. And uh, we left Australia the next day when we were home. There was an email waiting for us saying, you know, let me tell you what happened yesterday to so-and-so, whatever her name is. She said, after you prophesied over her and she left the meeting, she was, kept telling her parents, take the cast off because I can move my leg. My leg is healed. And they said, no, no, honey, we just put the cast on two days ago. It's not, not yet. She kept saying, yes, I'm healed. Take it off. She insisted so much that when they got home, they took the cast off. And they realized that not only her leg was healed, the little girl had a brand new skeleton. From head to toe, a brand new skeleton. And I was there in awe because he didn't. He didn't. He was there. She needed more than the prophecy. I did the part he called me to do. He did the rest. You see, 
And supernatural things start taking place just by investing in being in his company. You don't have to struggle. You don't have to, to worry about being gifted or anointing. It is not that way. It's him. He is the kingdom. He alters our reality. The more of him, the less of me. You see, um, I was visiting my friend Valerie in England after some conferences there, just for a couple of days, and um, a while, that was a while ago too. And so I had two days off to rest, which is very rare in our lives. And um, so my friend, in the evening before, started getting sick when I arrived, and she developed a condition that cause, can cause her to lose her eyes if they come to a certain level, some kind of pain, something I don't understand. But she can lose her eyes. And so the doctors told her, if it ever reaches this point, you have to run to the hospital immediately. So that was fine. We just were there and we prayed. And we, uh, so the next morning, I, because I had a day off to relax, I was just, I was in a very spiritual mood, to be honest, not at all. And so I was just, you know, relaxing with Jesus. And uh, I just, we were chatting. Who knows? We chat about so many things. You know, nothing important, to be honest. Just chatting about whatever. Just fellowship. Just having fellowship together. And um, all of it, I put on a mud mask. You know, at my age, I need help, so I put this stuff on. And it dries up, and it makes me look like an alien from outer space. It turns green and, like, and hard, and all you can see are my lips and my eyes and the holes in my nose. It's really, it can scare children. So I don't come downstairs. I don't go out until I shower when I do that. So I put it on, and we were up there, and I was chatting with Jesus while the thing was drying. When Jesus says to me, Isabel, why don't you go downstairs and have a cup of coffee and make a coffee? And I said, because, look, remember, we don't go down looking like this. Look, we don't do this. We wait, remember? And he said, just go make, a, make yourself a cup of coffee. Just go. Now, thank God I was in a good mood. So I said to him, well, if it makes you happy, why not? You know, I give him enough grief. So this is an easy thing to do to make him happy. And I said, sure, if it makes you happy, let's go and make a coffee. So I came down to the kitchen, and we were making the coffee. And I like very strong coffee, so I had to steep in the little thingy they use in England. You know, I had to let it sit for a while there. So there are two doors into my friend's kitchen, one from the living room, dining room, the other one from the hallway coming down from the bedrooms. So we had to wait for the coffee to get strong. So I said to Jesus, I suggested we went to the living room and I would read the Bible to him. So we do that a lot. So I said to him, let's go and I'll read the Bible to you. You know, I figure he's too busy to read it himself. So we sat down there, and I was reading the Bible to him, when all of a sudden he says to me, go get your coffee now. And I said, well, it's not strong enough, you know. I like it stronger than this. It's not long enough. Let's wait a bit longer. And he said, no, 
just go get your coffee now, just go get it. So I thought to myself, well, I guess since he's not drinking it, he doesn't care how strong it is. So, but I thought, well, why not humor him, make him happy? I'll make a strong coffee later. Who cares? So, again, I was in a good mood. So we went to the kitchen, and as I pushed the door from the one side, my friend pushed the door on the other side, and we both walked in at the very same time inside in the kitchen. She was all dressed up, coming to tell me that she was on her way to the emergency room in the hospital because she just, you know, was going to lose her eye. And, uh, but we, our encounter was less, maybe less than 10 seconds. It was just in and out, just very brief. And she looked at me, and she saw me like that, and then she half smiled and said, we will chat later when you can talk. I nodded once and waved once and turned around and she turned around. I felt the father, I felt the heart, the father's heart flowing in and out of me. I felt a wave of Jesus, you know, flowing through me, out of me into her. I thought she, he was saying hello, good morning, you know, and then she, I didn't think any more about it. I'm used to that. I thought he was just, you know, giving her a hug, so to speak. And I went upstairs to shower. When I came down, she was waiting for me at the bottom of the stairs. And she said, did you feel it when it happened? And I said, when what happened? She said, at the moment when you waved, when you nodded and you waved, the healing power came out of you and I perfectly healed. You see? And... The thing is, the healing power didn't come out of me. It came out of the one accompanying me. You see? And I realized he didn't need me to heal her at all. He could have done it upstairs. He could have done it at any time in her bedroom. He did not need me. But he knows I love to see him do it. It just... I love it. It's so important to me. I love to see him do miracles. I love to see him heal people. And he waited for me to share it with me. You see, and we get to partake into the great things that he does as we learn to walk in companionship in him. You see, supernatural things and miracles are always, always, the need for them are always surrounding us. We need to develop the expectation. But the expectation grows within us as he increases within us. You know, John the Baptist said, it is necessary for me to decrease and for him to increase. And as we learn to decrease, everything shifts and changes because when he increases within you, he ministers differently. He's so powerful. He's the kingdom. He does the things that no one else can do. And all the credit goes to him. That's what I like. You know, and when we see miracles and things, we don't say, oh, yes, you know, I have this anointing, and I just prayed for this and that, and God does, and these things happen because I'm so anointed. No, we are more thrilled than the people that get healed, or the miracles, and when things appear, or things take place, and angels come to do things. We are more thrilled than the, than the people receiving them, that he would do it. 
And, uh, but learning to decrease is very important, very, very important. Decreasing so he will increase. So very quickly, I'm going to tell you how to do it. It is very simple if you want to do it. You won't like it, but who cares? You know, if you want more of Jesus, it is necessary for us to learn to decrease in our daily lives. You can pray till cows sing and, you know, pigs fly. You can pray all you want for more of Jesus in you. It doesn't happen just because of that. You actually have to do participate and do things for this to happen, for you to decrease and for him to increase. He said to me, I'm going to reveal myself and release my presence. I will make myself visible through my sons and daughters. I'm going to, the inhabitation of Jesus is going to manifest on earth through my sons and daughters, he said. But I want you to tell them that I want to do it and I'm going to do it. To reveal myself, my inhabitation, when people look at you and they see him and people have encounters with him instead of you happens a lot to us a lot when we are in places and I was just in Sweden recently and there were people in there who never ever in a whole conference saw my face they saw him the whole time they had to get a picture after to find out what I looked like because they said you know we know we know you are a frame inside but we can't see you I see the Father physically. Other people said, I see the face of Jesus. I have seen him in heaven. I have visions of Jesus. And that's the face I see when I look at you. Other people physically saw this lion standing as I stood. And these people, for the whole five days of the conference in Sweden, never saw me. The stories are still going around. And they had to find out what does she look like inside of this. She's the frame, but she's not who we see. You see, that's supernatural. Of course, you cannot make that happen. He doesn't. But these things are increasing when he's revealing himself more and more. Through us, we're supposed to be hidden in him, not just spiritually, but also in our whole being, in our reality, living hidden in him so he is known through us. You see? And people who recognize him, they run to him. And so he said to me, but tell the people that, I want to offer them this. I want to offer them the inhabitation that causes that to happen on earth when people see him and your face shines with the glory of God. You see, and it is an amazing thing. When he said, tell them that I'm willing to do it through all my sons and daughters so that my glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea as they go about carrying that disinhabitation. So but tell them that I will not do it. I will not reveal myself so physically and strongly, the reality of my presence through them, if their ways and their character will ruin my reputation. You see, and that's the part that we need to learn to be like Jesus. Learning to be like Jesus. Paul said, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of him. Jesus said, here, Jesus was the earthly representation of the Father. And we are the earthly representation of Jesus. And mo- many of us for a long time have not done a very good job at it. You see? And, but we can change it. And it's learning to decrease for him to increase. 
And as he increases, everything changes. Levels of anointing, levels of ministry, miracles and impartations, supernatural, all kinds of things happen if there is more of Jesus in us. And the way to do it is we need to learn to imitate him, be imitators of him. You see, what is Jesus like? What is he like? And we have to purposely, intentionally change our ways to imitate him. You know, people tend to want to imitate those they admire. You know, the fans of Elvis Presley want to look like him, dress like him, talk like him. You see, and it happens with every all over the place. You know, that tendency to imitate those that we admire. For some reason, there is a lack of imitation of Jesus at, at large in the body of Christ. And it is because of a lack of admiration for him. You see, the fans, to be a fan of him, you see, and there is not much of that happening. And then, because of that, people are not wanting to imitate him. But when we start living and seeing his reality, living in his companionship, watching him do and watching him live his life with you, all of a sudden it awakens within you to want to be like him. You grow in admiration of who he is. And you just, there's nothing more you want than him to be known. That's when you cast it down, your desires and your crowns and his feet, it doesn't matter. It's about you. You realize it's about him. You see, learning to be like Jesus, what is he like? The Bible tells us what he's like. So this is homework. If you want it, it works. It will work. Guaranteed. I promise you it works. And it will save you. If you start doing it today, it will save you years. It can propel you years into your destiny. And it will change all kinds of things. And it is not complicated. You take a piece of paper and make two columns. <clears throat> On the one column, you write Jesus. On the other column, write your name. And now start writing the characteristics of his personality, his ways, who he is. Who does the Bible say he is? You can start with that. You know, what is he like? And start writing it on his column. And then on the other column, write what you are like in that same area. It's amazing to see when you have the visual in front of you how unlike him we are. You know, for instance, Isaiah 42 says, it's talking about him and says, Behold my servant who pleases me. So we can write under his column, He pleases, Jesus pleases God. What do you write next to it? Does God say that about you? Behold my daughter who pleases me. You know, as he said, does he say that? Or do you please others? Do you please yourself? Who do you please in your life? Jesus pleased God. My spirit is upon him, for he is gentle and he's kind. So you write, Jesus, gentle, kind. What do you write on your list? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Are you known for that? You know, are you known for being like that? It says, for he is gentle and kind. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. So we write those things under his list. 
He doesn't shout. He doesn't raise his voice in public. I mean, he doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't shout in anger. Not at the football game. It's fine to shout at the football game. You know? And you write that under his column. What do you write under yours? Are you like that? You see? Scripture says that he is an encourager. He's a giver of life. He's the the lifter of our hands. So we write that under his list. What do you write on the other side of the column about you? Are you a giver of life? Are you an encourager? Are you the lifter of people's hands? You see, we know that Jesus was a friend of people. He He wasn't intimidating. He was approachable. He had no walls. So we write, Jesus, friend of the people, Jesus, approachable. What about you? Are you intimidating? Do you have walls and distance from people? You see, because he doesn't. He is love. You know, First John 4.16 says that God is love and all who abide in him abide in love. And the more we abide in him, the more love is perfected within us. Love is not a feeling or an emotion. Love is a, na- a person with a name and a face. Love is, thing- is Jesus. The Father's love is Jesus within you. And is the impartation of his presence within you. The inhabitation of Jesus is the infilling of the Father's love within you. That's why love is the greatest gift of all. All others will pass, but love will remain forever. Because it's Jesus. It's a person. Love is alive. So how about you? You can tell how much of Jesus a person has by the amount, by the love that comes out of them when you are in their presence. Anybody can talk about love. Anybody can say anything. It's easy. But it is what you experience when you are with them. Do you, does love come out of them? The more of Jesus, love comes out of them. The more of you, the love doesn't come out of you. Other things come out of you, but not love. You see? And in other words, you know, what do people say about you behind your back? That's when you know. What you really like? What is the impression that's left behind? And so all we have to do, you get the lists and you start one thing at a time, changing it to become like him by choice. I choose to be like Jesus. I want to imitate him and be like him. So I start changing my character to imitate Jesus. For instance, he's an encourager, a lifter of the heads, a strengthener to people. What are you? Are you like him? If you are not like him, if you are negative, you are critical, you see everything that's wrong in others, you don't leave people feeling better than they were before you met them, then, you know, you need to change because Jesus does. So, all we have to do is, one at a time, you make choices to change, to be like Jesus. So, I want to be an encourager because Jesus is an encourager. He is a giver of life. I'm going to be a giver of life. Which means stop being negative and critical. You can choose. You can make choices. And you can choose. I'm not going to be negative and critical anymore because Jesus is not. So I'm not going to do it. I want to be like him. So I stop criticizing people. I stop being negative because Jesus is not that way. 
So I stop in. You may need to go for some prayer. You may need to get some healing. Please go get help. But you know, you need to make choices of character to be imitators of Jesus. You see, if you are not an encourager, and you are a complainer, and you are always finding something wrong, you know, that's the first thing you see. For instance, you go to Tim Hortons, and you go for a coffee, and the first thing you see is what is wrong with the girls giving you the coffee. You see her hair is messy, and her colors don't match, and everything that is negative is the first thing you see. And then, But since you want to be like Jesus, and Jesus doesn't dwell in those things, Jesus finds something good in people, then by choice you just say, no, I'm no longer going to do this. That is what is called dying to self, crucifying your flesh. I'm no longer going to do this because Jesus doesn't do it and I want to be like him. Instead, you look to see, find something good in the girl. Maybe she has nice teeth. Maybe she has, you know, her smile is nice. If everything else is out of place, but her smile is nice. Find something good and, fi- and fix your sight on it. Oops. And when you leave, comment on it. Just make it a purpose to comment on it, to encourage her and strengthen her. And look at her and say, you have a lovely smile. You have, very, you have beautiful white teeth. You know, your shoes are lovely. Stop a stranger on the street. Put a smile on their face. Learn to be an encourager. Develop that characteristic that Jesus has to be like him, just to imitate him. Leave people with a smile on their face because Jesus does that. It causes your flesh to die and your ways to die and you will hate the three quarters of the time. But it doesn't matter. In time, it becomes a habit. And you take on his attributes and character. You know, and as your ways begin to change and your personality starts reflecting him, he can now come and inhabit that area of you. Because now you will not ruin his reputation by saying he is like this, but you behave differently. You behave like him, and he can now reveal himself through you and shine through you. He can inhabit it. Then you pick another area, another character of Jesus, and you learn. I remember when I was learning that. I'm still learning that, but we are doing a bit better now. But when I was learning this, and I was learning to be like Jesus, because, good Lord, I was so unlike him, it wasn't funny. And so I was learning to imitate him and to learn to be like him by choosing to imitate Jesus. And uh, the Holy Spirit, bless him, you know, the moment you choose, because you are the earth, our full-time ministry is for all of us, is to be representatives of Jesus on earth. That's a full-time ministry, whether you are at a factory, working in a shop, working in a church, a school, Anywhere in the fields, anywhere. It's being the representation of Jesus to the cattle in the fields and to the people at work in the streets and at home. That's our full-time ministry. The main thing we do is to represent Jesus. So be his reflection on earth. So, you know, 
I was learning these things. It almost killed me. And so I, disco- I used to be one of the most selfish people the world had ever seen. Because when you grow up in destitution, then you hold on to everything you have and you don't give because, you know, what if you don't have it again? And I tell you, I was beyond the definition of selfishness in the Webster's Dictionary. It was serious selfishness. And so one day... As I was picking on the characteristics of Jesus to learn to be like him, I discovered he's a giver and he's generous. I didn't like that. I thought, no, but you know, that was the next one I had to work on. And so I had to make the choice, okay, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be generous and be a giver because he is generous and he's a giver. And I'm his representative, so anyway, I want to be like Jesus. So I decided I was going to give something away. I had to to learn, teach myself to give. And um, my sister-in-law was living with us. And she she was out of work. It was summer. She needed a pair of sandals. Hers had broken. And so I had sandals. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it because if Jesus was here, he would meet her need. So I can do it. Likewise, I can do likewise. He would do that, so I'll do it too. So I went to my closet to get a pair of sandals, and I picked the ones I didn't like, the ones I didn't really like, you know. And as I went to grab them, the Holy Spirit says to me, well, that, did you know that he gives his best? And I said, work with me. I'm giving something. Oh, come on, I'm giving something. That's enough to be count for something. I'm giving. And he said, but he gives his best. Jesus gives his best. The Father, he gave his best. If you want to be like them, you must learn to give your best. I was not impressed. So, but what can you do when you hear that? So I had a brand new pair of very expensive sandals I had bought, and they were my treasure. I had only worn them once because they were so expensive. I had saved a lot of time to buy them, you know. And so I took them and I grabbed them, and I, I could feel my flesh dying, my soul dying. They're dying to self, you know, inside, and I could feel it. Ugh. And I went to my sister-in-law holding the sandals, and I said to her, here, these are for you. And I looked at her feet and I said, oh, but too bad. Your feet are much smaller, so they won't fit. And I pulled them back. <laughs> you know, and I thought I could get out of it. I went to give them, they don't fit. And she grabbed them and said, never mind, I'll make it work. <laughs> I love those shoes. Of course she loved them. I did too. I love those shoes and I can't afford them, but thank you so much. I tell you. For about the whole summer, every time I saw her feet, my flesh died. I did not enjoy seeing her wear those shoes. It was killing my flesh. My selfishness was dying. And we continued, and I continued. Every week I would give something away because I was learning to be like Jesus. Until generosity would become a habit within me. And the Holy Spirit always helps you and empowers you. If you want to be like Jesus, he will help you change. So, you know, we began to do it. And one time, oh my goodness, we had to give a lot, a large amount of money. 
to somebody. But I, you know, I came to Ivan and I said, honey, I'm not sure if this is God or me. I think it's me, but I thought I would run it by you. I just had this impression we should give X amount of dollars to this person at church. But I think it's me. What do you think? You know, when I ask that, it's usually because I don't want to do it. And so Ivan said to me, well, honey, this is the way I see it. It doesn't matter if, he, if it is him telling you or you or it's coming out of you to do it. Because if it is coming out of you to do it, that means you're becoming like him. He said, and it doesn't matter. We don't need confirmation to do this because our father is a giver and he's generous and we are his children. We will be givers and generous on earth because that is who our father is. He said, so we will do it. That was the most painful check I have ever written in my life. You know, it killed my, me inside more. You know, learning to be like Jesus until it became a habit. And, you know, and now generosity is part of our lifestyle. We just enjoy, I enjoy giving. You know, and then heaven starts moving because then God began to entrust us with things to give to others, big things, you know, cars to give away and uh, Look, debts to be paid for people, his money, not ours. His generosity passing through us for others. When he knew we would not keep it to ourselves, he couldn't trust us now with kingdom business. So, learning to be like Jesus is very important. It is practical. It sucks for your flesh and your soul. But the fruit of it is worth it all the way. When his inhabitation grows within you, when people start seeing him in you, when it isn't just, you know, there's nothing more amazing sometimes, even in airports and the unbelievers, and people start seeing him in you. I've had immigration people look at me and they take a look and say, who is that looking at me? Who is that on your face? Strangers run to hug me because they see him. He, he shows up and they reveal himself. He reveals himself and people, I, we have had the strangers drop their bags in airports and run to hug me from people from other nations. They don't know who I am. And they said, I have never, I don't know who you are, but I recognize the presence in you. I see him in you. You know, and they come and hug me and they follow. And all kinds, I have stories to tell you, you know, that we can go for ages, of the supernatural things that come with the inhabitation of Jesus. But we start by cultivating his companionship. And the good thing is, everybody can do it. Because this is not a special gift. It is not a special anointing. It is our inheritance. The Bible says it's for us. And greater things than the disciples saw we would do. But we have to choose to want it. Be willing to whatever changes have to take in your personality. Dying to self. Decreasing so he can increase. Because we are in the time where he is generously revealing himself on earth. Let's stand. <clears throat> Thank you.
Father, I thank you that you are so kind and so generous. And Father, that you have chosen the simple to confound the wise. You have chosen us, the ordinary sons and daughters, the nameless and faceless generation of the earth, to be carriers of the glory of Jesus, the inhabitation and the presence greater than all things, to walk alongside the Son of God as in ministers on earth. And it is happening daily, it is happening today. So Father, I thank you, because that is not the message I was going to speak. That's what came out when I took the microphone, so I know that is what he wants to give you. So Father, I thank you for you are extending an invitation in this place for that inhabitation, a place of presence, a place of inhabitation, a place of dwelling, not just in concept, not just in theory, but in life, to be carriers, a frame for the Son of God to be seen and known on earth. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just want to release an impartation for that hunger and desperation for Jesus, for that willingness of heart and character, of whatever it takes, I will be like him. That whatever it takes, I will spend the rest of my life making him known. I will spend the rest of my life carrying his glory so others can see him. So, Father, right now I release an impartation. Father, for that willingness, the selflessness of giving up our ambition and desires to be known for, by gifts and anointings, to have a great ministry, but to trade our ministry for his. For the ministry of Jesus far surpasses any other ministry on earth. And the Lord said to me a while ago, the season of the great ministries of men and women on earth has ended. Now, the season has begun for the ministry of Jesus himself to be restored back into the church and the world. When everything will be about him and his ministry. So, Father, I thank you. For this is for everyone. So, Father, I release right now that impartation for inhabitation, for fulfillment, to learn to die to self so the Son of God can live in you and through you. Right now, Holy Spirit, all we can do is say, I am willing, and please help me when I don't like it. Please remind me why when I'm dying to self. So that I can decrease and you will increase. 
That is the greatest thing we can do on earth. So Holy Spirit, would you be so kind as to release the deposit from the Father's heart into each person here today. Would you release a deposit in this house that this will be that place where people will encounter his company, his inhabitation, the friendship, the friendship of the Son of God, the friendship of the Trinity in this place, the friendship of the Trinity invading your atmosphere at work and home, and even when everybody else is in chaos and arguing or fighting, your atmosphere is inhabited by the Trinity. You can be in the midst of chaos in that place of fellowship and inhabitation, companionship with them. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just release an impartation for those signs and wonders. For the signs and wonders and that power that comes from Jesus himself, not for the power that comes from Jesus far surpasses the power of any gift or anointing. For the manifestation of that glory surpasses everything. There is nothing that compares. There is nothing that will humble us more than when we see the Son of God working and doing his work on earth. So, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just release an impartation for the transformation, for the willingness and the heart to link arms together and walk it together. For this, no one can do it alone. We need each other to remind each other. Why? Because we are becoming like him, remember? Because he's not like that, remember? Because we want to be like him. The imitators of Jesus. The imitators of Jesus. So much greater than imitating Elvis Presley or Justin Bieber. Just being the imitators of Jesus. The representatives of Jesus on earth. So in the name of Jesus, I just bless you to invest in this, to walk in fellowship and friendship with him. For he said to the disciples in John fifteen fifteen, I no longer call you servants, but I now call you my friends. For a, serv- a master does not confide in his servants, and I have now confided in you everything my father has told to me. The twelve disciples started as servants. Through the journey, they ended as friends. And you know, we all started in the same way. As sons and daughters of God, but that doesn't guarantee friendship with him. Friendship is different. You can be your father's son or your mother's daughter, but not be your, most people are not the, the friends of their parents. They're just parents and children. But to become your parents' friend is a great thing when your parents can share their heart with you without walls. It's an amazing thing. We're sons and daughters of God, but we can become friends of God as well. Through the journey, the disciples didn't just share with Jesus. In those three years, 
They were in his company 24-7. They walked together, talked together, slept together, fellowshiped together. Not everything was about praying for people. They laughed together. They shared life. And in that journey, they, they became friends. They ended as friends. And that's the invitation God has for us today. We're sons and daughters. We're servants. How about becoming his friends? So I bless you in the name of Jesus. With an impartation for friendship with God, companionship with him, inhabitation, and out of that, the kingdom and the glory of God, the power and the signs and wonders will follow you wherever you go. In Jesus' name.